podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Uh, we've got a long show ahead, so I'm not going to take up a bunch of your time. Plus, I sound like human garbage because I'm dealing with allergies or a cold, or I don't know what it is. We'll figure it out. So, uh, today's show, we've got Cam Malore of Pro Football Network and Parker Fleming of Purple Theory joining us to do our offensive line rankings. We're continuing our offseason position rankings podcast. We've done defensive line Go check it out. We're doing offensive line today. This is a lot of fun. It's a great podcast, great interview. Uh, so we're going to do that first. Then very excited uh, to talk to Coach Greg Sands, the head coach of the Texas Tech men's golf team. They will be in Arizona this weekend uh, taking part in the NCAA Men's Golf Championship along with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Texas. Uh, we will talk with Coach Sands about winning the Albuquerque Regional, uh, talk about the team in general, and preview uh, this weekend's NCAA Championship. On, on Monday's pod, I incorrectly stated that the Women's Golf Championship was finished as of Sunday. It was not. It just wrapped on Wednesday night. Uh, Oklahoma State making it all the way to the championship game before losing to Ole Miss 4-1 in match play. Uh, congrats to the Cowgirls. It's a great season for second-year head coach Greg Robertson. Really, like, first real true season because his first season was during COVID. And congrats to Ole Miss. That is Ole Miss's first NCAA championship. They claim three football championships from back in the 50s and 60s. Claim them because back then, they're just random publications could say, we think you're the best team. Here's a national championship. So they claim three. They do not have an NCAA national championship. So now they have one. Congrats to Ole Miss. Little podcast business. Our good friends at Homefield Apparel. If you haven't gone and checked them out yet, you really, really should. The most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere and big news Saturday is about to begin. Now, obviously, we know Notre Dame is the first school. There are two Big 12 schools coming. So if you're waiting to find out what those are going to be, I completely understand. So what I want you to do is remember our promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. That gets you 20% off your first order. There will be other promo codes who come out during the, the Big News Saturday. They won't all be for 20% off. Ours is. So remember 1012. Save the most. You're going to buy more than one thing, I promise. I promise. Uh, free shipping on orders is $70 or more, so you should buy more than one thing. So, homefieldapparel.com. Check out what they have right now. Maybe you want to add a few things along with one of the Big 12 schools coming because they have Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. They have Michigan and SMU and Austin P and Northern Michigan and Central Michigan. They got a lot of Michigan. I think they have the whole state of Michigan is pretty well covered. I don't see a Southern Michigan. I don't even know that exists. Uh, Toledo, Tulane, Yukon, UMass, so on and so forth. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter. It is one of the most fun, like brand social media accounts you can follow. So go follow Homefield Apparel. Go check out homefieldapparel.com. Remember promo code 1012-T-E-N-1-2 for 20% off your first order. I got to wrap this up because I sound like I'm just, I can't do it anymore. Okay. Uh, follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 1012pod. We had an exclusive on our Instagram this week. John and Kyle, the guys from College Baseball Nation, joined us to preview the Big 12 Baseball Tournament. Go check that out on Instagram. It's like a 10-minute video. Uh, plus, they put out their recent podcast, I Joined. It was a lot of fun. We drafted, snake draft style, teams from five conferences to try and pick 
who could win. It's very interesting. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I have a pretty loaded Big 12 <laughs> roster. Do us a favor, please. Leave us a rating and a review if you don't mind. Five stars. If you leave me a review, I'll read it on the pod. Sound good? Let's do that. All right. Offensive line rankings. Texas Tech men's golf. Let's get to it. Hey guys, Christine Butterfield here. And Madison Morris. And together we host the Winning Women Podcast. This podcast is all about women's empowerment and creating a positive platform for females to tell their stories. Each week we interview players, coaches, reporters, journalists, and much, much more. The conversations we have are unique to each guest and they always have words of wisdom to share. Listen to the Winning Women podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Presented by the Highball Network. All right, we are continuing our position group rankings in the offseason. We had D-Line a few weeks ago. If you haven't had a chance to go and listen to that with Adam Lunt and Joe Broback, go do so. Uh, today, I'm very excited to have two fantastic people here uh, to help us rank the Big 12's offensive line groups. we got Parker Fleming. Parker, welcome back. Hey, Philip. Always great to be here, man. Thank you. Thank you. And Cam Malore joining us again. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, it feels very odd to say that this was literally a year ago. This time we did the same same position group ranking. It's uh, that that year flew by. Yeah, it's about about a year. I think it was last August, but yeah. Cam, before we get rolling, last time we had you on, were you still PFF or were you SB Nation at that point? Like the point is here is you have you have changed uh, changed uh, roles again. Uh, tell us about where you're at now. Yeah, if you're not moving, you're dying, I guess, is an expression that you could populate here. But I feel like this is where I'm going to be for a while. Um, Pro Football Network. Uh, I, I, I had just left PFF the year prior when we first talked last year. Moved to SB Nation. Was covering just Pac-12. It was. It didn't tickle my fancy, I guess. And then an opportunity presented itself uh, after the birth of my second child. Um, was actually getting to know the ownership group at Pro Football Network and went to the draft with them. And after what was a pretty solid week, weekend coverage worth of draft, they basically were like, at, right as I was coming back from paternity leave at SB Nation, they were like, uh, what would it take to get you to come over here? And so they made a pretty awesome offer. And now I'm the senior director of creative and communications at Pro Football Network. Congrats. That is awesome, Cam. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many people the Pac-12's whistle actually wets uh, at this point in time. So, no, uh, we certainly don't blame you for, for making that move there. Uh, okay, so as I mentioned, we're ranking offensive line groups today. It's 1 through 10 to figure out whose is the best, whose is the worst. I feel like 1 and 10 are going to be pretty pretty similar. Uh, the question and the fun always begins when we get the 2 through 9. Um, so, let's see here. Uh, Cam is our, as our returning guest to do this. I'm going let to you, let you kick things off here. Who do you, who do you have number one on your list and, and why? Uh, you know, it's Oklahoma. I don't think I can go anywhere else to start there. Um, when you have two guards that are going to anchor your offensive line that have started 25 and 24 games consecutively in Tyrese Robinson and Marquis Haynes, um, the addition of Wanya Morris, I think in a better system in this system, a former five-star prospect anchor the left side at left tackle. And then Swenson, obviously a two-year starter moving to right tackle. If that's, if my depth charts are accurate, I think that's where you have to start just in terms of the level of play we saw a year ago, uh, the level of play we've seen from these players individually, but also this, this unit seems to have very few uh, holes, I guess is the best way to put it. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Parker, who, who do you have number one? 
Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement there. I think the way my depth chart depth depth chart shakes out and who I've talked to, uh, I think Anton Harrison will end up at the by the end of the season as that other tackle. But you have Eric Swenson or Harrison there. Uh, you know, Harrison is a four-star 0.927 rating guy, uh, even though his experience is a little low. Um, but I mean, I have Oklahoma with the, the highest talent rating across with or with, with, with Harrison or with Swenson and, and having that sixth guy being so highly rated, regardless of who it is, is, is huge for depth. I have them at the, the biggest team uh, by almost 20 pounds over the rest of the Big 12. Um, and, uh, and I mean, I, they have taken a unit that has been really, really good over the last couple of years and made it one of the best in the country, not, not the conference, um, uh, not just the conference. And so I think it, it almost doesn't matter whether it's Harrison or whether it's Swenson there, you're trading ceiling for experience. But I mean, uh, I, I think this is a bunch of big NFL caliber linemen. Not all five of them will go to the NFL, but you know, it's crazy to lose a guy like Creed Humphrey and, uh, and, 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 continually have this turnover of linemen, but then still be able to recruit and, and get these transfers to just have five big high quality guys. So this is a, um, a uh, predictably scary or cons- uh, offensive line, given what Oklahoma has been able to do and what we'd expect out of them. And this is still a really, really good offensive line. Yeah. I have OU one as well. Shocker. I mean, and, and I also think, you know, it's interesting. You talked about Swenson petitioning and getting replaced with the season. You know, PFF had him at high rated as the, the highest rated returning tackle in college football. And the fact that he might get pushed out of the starting lineup tells you their depth. The other interesting thing depth-wise for me is, is Andrew Rame um, and whether or not he can overtake uh, Chris Murray or uh, Robert Congle, who they got out of Arizona, and potentially start. Like, I just – it's not just – the five guys who are going to start for this team. It's the depth is so good that even if they have a guy go down, like you're going to be less concerned with them replacing them than you are anybody else. I think in the conference. Well, and, and the benefit here is going to be that they are going to be very good and they're going to get in garbage time situations often. And what they can do is very easily rest uh, and develop some of the younger guys because they have really high quality guys who have more eligibility and uh, so kind of protect their starters for the stretch and then also get quality development of their second unit still behind a really good offensive line, even, even in a blowout. So that's just um, terrifying. Yeah. I feel like that was a slide at Nebraska, which is of course fine and welcome, you know, talking about garbage time play. Okay. So moving on, Cam, uh, who do you have? This is where things get interesting to me. Um, who do you have at number two? It's tough and it's tough. I think the expression is going chalk. And it's hard for me not to put Texas at number two. And so I think I, you move Kerstetter if I'm, if, if I'm reading, you know, we all know college depth charts are, unless you're plugged in and you're that beat re- reporter or you trust the beat reporter and what you can learn from spring games, obviously is very, very unique across the country, but moving Kerstetter, I believe out to right tackle, uh, I think, which is his normal, more normal or natural position. Um, and then replacing realistically, all you have to replace is Samuel Cosme at left tackle, and it's otherwise very experienced, large, athletic NFL group as well. Okay, very good, uh, Parker. Who do you have it to? Uh, I, I agree. I have Texas. Um, that's why I, I laughed there for a second. Also, it's it's funny to say all they have to do is replace Sam Cosme, who's an NFL tackle, but realistically, that is all they have to do. And I think Christian Jones should slate in there at left tackle and be. Really, really good. Um, except for Jake Majors, who's who's the youngest of the bunch. Uh, you know, all, all all this entire line has has a full season of uh, play, and uh, and so I think guys like Okafor and Angelau, 
in addition to Kirsten are playing his more natural position are just kind of kind of be a rising tide lifts all boats. I think their their floor last year was pretty low, even if their ceiling was was um uh was high. So I mean I have Texas only having a clean pocket on 67.5% of their passing attempts last year, uh, which is towards the bottom of the conference. I think that's uh, seventh overall in the conference, which is pretty bad. Um, but I mean, I, I think that this will be an experienced unit. It's, it's high talent. Um, and so I think that the offensive line will not be uh, an issue here for Texas this year um, overall. Uh, this is starting out just like last time where uh my guests agree early, and and I am the only one to differ. So I'm going to differ here. I'm actually at Iowa State at number two. Um, a lot of it has to do with what all they have coming back. With uh, Schweiger and Newell, I think those are two of the better uh, returning offensive linemen in the Big 12. I think this is an offensive line that like, – I have said so much crap about Matt Campbell's offensive lines and the fact that it was always something that was holding Iowa State back. It was always an issue and that it couldn't seem to get fixed. Last year was the best offensive line Iowa State's had. No, I will say this. I am at this spot with Iowa State. Of, I can't figure out, I can't decide if they have already touched their ceiling or have any any more room to grow. But I do think this was a a good Iowa State offensive line. <clears throat> uh, they get back Trevor Downing, who they lost in the opener against Louisiana, who I think is actually going to help upgrade this offensive line even more. I was one of the better pass protecting lines in the Big 12 last season. I, I will put Iowa State at number two just because of how much they're returning. I think with the return of Downing, they can take another step forward. And, and it's this is definitely more of a – it's more the sum than it is the parts individually. I, I don't know that there's a single offensive lineman here who's just flat out better than who who Oklahoma has or who Texas has from a talent standpoint. But I think as a unit, I, I like this one second best. I, I I understand that. I think that's an argument from variance, right? Just the uncertainty for Iowa State is the lowest. And so it's like their their mean might not be the highest, but their variance is the lowest. Yeah. It, to me, that's it's – I think I lost audio here. Hang on. This is what happens when you record from home. We just talked about it. Um, it's it, – their variance that you're saying. It's it's like this the proverbial ceiling and floor. Um, we've seen – maybe we've seen their ceiling, but also, I mean, you have two young kids that made debut season last year and they made him decent and Daryl Simmons and Jay Greensburg. So if those two are playing, even if it's a plug and play situation with Downing coming back for across the board, you have an experienced few guys that some starters two your starters in Newell as well. And then Sean Foster, I mean, he started a right tackle in 2017. And if he slates, it's a big dude to just plug and play around there. They have experience and they have depth. And that seems like what you've talked about as well, where it's, that's not a trait of a Matt Campbell offensive line. That's, this is, this is unique. This is rare for him. To, it's like he uh, read between the lines or read what we all have been saying about him, about how he doesn't recruit the, the, the O-line. And so it seems to be improving and it seems to be a point of, of emphasis for him in the off seasons as well. So actually I always say it's my number three too. That just, it sort of leads naturally right to it. All right. Well, that makes sense. So then um, Cam's got Iowa State at three. Parker, who do you have at three? Uh, I have to say that like three through six, I, I'm agnostic about, I keep switching the order on them so I can make an <laughs> argument. So I'm actually going to put, I'm actually going to put Kansas State slightly ahead of Iowa State. And it's kind of a similar argument for, for, from variance. So I think, I think Cooper Beebe uh, is a good left tackle. He's going to get challenged this year. Um, and, and that I think is going to be really, really good, um, for their unit. But I mean, all five of these guys played last year, uh, Josh Rivas 
one of the better guards in the uh, in, in the conference, getting some getting some NFL buzz. Noah Johnson is probably I think Athlon had Noah Johnson as the first team, first or second team uh, all all conference center there. And then you've got on the side uh, Ben Adler and, and Christian Duffy is a little bit on the smaller side, kind of for for Kansas State. But you look at these guys one through five, and uh, not to mention they have probably three other guys in, in the mix for depth, and they are uh, almost the archetype of kind of a, a boringly consistent Kansas state line um, in, in a good way. I don't think you could hear any of these five guys name this year. And if Kansas state season goes well, that that's uh, that's going to be the case is you're, you're not going to know about them because they're just going to be a good unit. So I, I I'm actually quietly pretty high on the Kansas state um, line with a full se- full off season of development as well. Given that all five of these guys were new starters last year. Um, I, I I think this could be a pretty, pretty good unit uh, just, just by a hair um, for, for me. Uh, so number three, that's where I have Texas, not, you know, one spot behind you guys. My big thing, you guys said most of the things to be said. One thing I think that, that makes me high on them is, is Jake majors was pretty impressive. Uh, the few games he started at center. Uh, I do think he is an upgrade there for them uh, from what they had through most of last year. So I think that is a big thing that should help Texas. Again, the thing with Texas this year, the talent's there. You you trust that the new coaching staff can do a better job than the last – well, I say trust. You think and hope that the coaching staff can do a better job than they did last year. I think they should be the third one. I think it's talent from a, sta- a talent standpoint. So I, I, I don't know what else to add that you guys have already said. So I am Texas at three. Okay, so Cam, what do you have at uh, – or who do you have at four? I'm going to go off the ball. Um, and this is where it comes into play when I – if I'm going to – if I'm going to go off the wall, I'm going to do it well-researched. And so I'm going to throw Baylor there. Not because of any one specific player, but because of what we talked about, the sum of the, sum of the whole parts here. And also Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach. Look what he did to the BYU offensive line. Now, did we ever expect to see multiple BYU players drafted like we did this year, sort of rivaling years of old? No. And do we ever expect to see the rocketed launch of Zach Wilson? No. Did we expect to see Brady Christensen drafted high? Absolutely. But did we expect to see that offensive line dramatically change in the years that Coach Mateos was there? No. And so speaking with him specifically, he said to me, and this is coming back, he's, he had Tristan Hodge, he had all those dudes, James Empey, Brady Christensen on his line at BYU. He said that John Carlo Valentine is the freakiest human he's ever coached. Connor Galvin will be the most improved offensive lineman in the entire conference and that Jacob Gal fits his system perfectly as their, their zone blocking center. So he is high. He said, if they're not ready by conference play as the best offensive line in the conference, then he's done something wrong. So he holds himself to a high standard. And this is just, I, I, everywhere else on the line, maybe except for whoever we're going to project at starter at right tackle, I think is sort of set. And this is a line that I think as they start gelling and grabbing his scheme that sort of will anchor whatever they want to do offensively. Did I, did I hear you just say that Mateos said that Baylor should be the best line in the conference by conference play? He called a shot. He said, if they're not ready to compete at that level, okay, 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 was okay. the exact quote he, he knows, he said he's done study on all of the returning players. Uh, he also yeah. knows that this is, he's only had uh, half of an off season so far to get them ready and get them, get his players. And he doesn't have his players uh, across the board. He's, he's sort of working with what they have. All is one of those players he's brought in. That's his. I know he obviously multiple years to, at Buffalo. I mean, that, that offensive line at Buffalo was ridiculously talented for a group of five, honestly, for a power five school that 
offensive line that Nowitzki and all those kids, Ayosoki or Asioki. So, I mean, Gall fits perfectly. This is an experienced team also on the offensive line. So I think if he can get them coached up, I think honestly they can compete with the top three, the in the top three for best O-line come conference player by the end of the season too. Suddenly his quote that he didn't watch tape from last year makes a whole lot more sense. Um, sorry, I, I, I had to throw that in there. Um, I'm Parker, saving my Baylor thoughts, but we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, I, I'm favoring experience and consistency. And so I'm going to plug Iowa State in here right now. Uh, I, I think that Joey Ramos could actually slot in at that right tackle over um, uh, over Jake Rimsburg by the end of the season. So again, it's nice to have six guys with with Downing back and with Foster having experience uh, who can play multiple positions. Um, I have Iowa State as a clean pocket 73.7% of the time last year, which was second in the Big 12 Conference. Um, uh, and, and really first, because the first team was Texas Tech and they just threw a million screens. And so obviously it's going to be a clean pocket um, with a, with a screen, you're getting the ball out quick. So I have Iowa state with a, with a pretty good offensive line uh, performance. I was down on them last year. I was wrong about them. Um, but there, there was reason to doubt this year. I think there's less reason to doubt, very consistent. The offense really knows how to use that Y role. And I don't think that Dylan Soner is uh Soner is, is so uh, important that he can't be replaced in that kind of ancillary role. And, and you can't overstate the importance of, of that sixth blocker in Matt Campbell's um, uh, offense or the offense they're running. And so um, I, I really like Iowa State bringing back, you know, 1.2 years of experience basically across the board. Um, everybody has multiple, multiple years starting, multiple positions. Their average talent is a little bit lower than, uh, than most of the conference. Uh, they're at 0.829. Um, but it gets, it's Iowa State. Uh, rooting is weird. And, and I think they have one walk on that's factoring into that. So um, I, I like Iowa State as a consistent and boring offensive line for a consistent and boring offense, honestly. So um, I, I think they're, they, them and Kansas State are kind of in the same realm. But I, I think Kansas State's unit is just a little bit better. Um, but I do think Iowa State has a really, really solid unit this fall. All right, well, Cam went out on a limb with his fourth pick, so I, I will I will make my go out on a limb pick here. Um, at number four, I have Texas Tech. Um, doing a little digging, you know, Texas Tech had the second fewest sacks they gave up last year in the Big 12 with only 16. Why, why is that, job, though? Sorry, uh, protecting. Why is that? Because Henry Columbia okay. can't throw the ball, and they just ran screens, and you don't get sacked when you throw screens. <laughs> you get tackled for negative three yards out uh, out by the numbers. That's, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, look, they had to replace J- uh, Jack Anderson, which is not going to be easy. But I feel like Tech every year has at least one good offensive lineman. Um, Dawson Deaton was ranked by Athlon Sports as the number one as a first teamer, which would make him, I think, the top returning center in the Big 12. I like the addition of TJ Stormont from TCU. Yes, Parker, I, I like TJ Stormont. I'm, he was good. I'm sorry to bring 80, up. 81, bring 81 up. grade last year. Yeah. yeah. So I like him taking over the left tackle spot. I, I Again, it's similar to the... I like a couple of the pieces in Stormont and, and Dawson Deaton. I like the whole of the parts better. I think they played well. Uh, so I, I'm going to put them at four. Also, a lot of experience. They got a lot of experience coming back. I know that experience doesn't mean good. You can have a lot of guys come back and play. It doesn't mean that they're they're good. I understand that point. But I, I like Texas Tech and what they bring back. I, I, I won't get to Texas Tech. I'll hold my thoughts as well. I'll just slide into five, and it's already been spoken about in <laughs> Kansas State. And as a big believer in the entire Bebe family, I believe Cooper has the chance to be the best one of those. Uh, it's four brothers now, I think, that played 
for for the Wildcats. So I think he could be the best one. I also love Josh Rivas when you have, I think, maybe the best guard in the conference. You know, that that speaks to me. Um, and then just sort of the experience across the board for for Kansas State. And here I am saying BB like a moron. I knew exactly who he was and I just uh, <laughs> messed it up. Um, I think for five, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going out on a limb. Um, uh, TCU added the best tra- transfer uh, lineman. Like I, I think that Obina Easy is going to compete with Wanya Morris for best tackle in the big 12. Um, I think I actually was looking uh, on a, on a, uh, Pro Football Network uh, kind of preview that has easy in the top 10 of, of tackles for the draft in 2022. He's big. He's got a lot of experience. He's going to anchor um, a position at TCU that has been a revolving door, both in personnel and in execution. Um, and I think people don't understand how injured and depleted TCU's offensive line was this last year. You had multiple walk-ons starting games. Um and so you had Esteban Avila, who's one of the, the league's better centers, playing right tackle, moving around a bunch. Uh, Wes Harris, who's a really good guard with, with um, over three years uh, of experience playing, broke his jaw in the Kansas State game, finished the Kansas State game, uh, but broke his jaw and was out for the year. So TCU has not had any kind of stability. But if you look at this coherent unit, you go easy uh, at, at tackle, lands maybe Garrett Hayes who's a who's a younger guy playing that left guard and you've got Avila Harris and Coker who can't be worse than last year and I think this TCU offensive line has is uh, vastly increased their floor I think they're also going to make a stylistic change that's going to make the offensive line look a lot better in running a lot more jet motion uh kind of power read where you're bringing a guy from the slot across um Google Tim Beck Pitt State fill in the uh fill in the the blanks there but so I think that the the health of the unit the experience bringing in easy uh because easy over storm it's an upgrade um as much as you would have liked to keep Stormin and maybe have him start at another position and then you go to the the stylistic change and I think that this TCU offensive line is going to look a lot better um overall I mean last year they had what 68.3% of clean pockets like that's and 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 they're throwing a bunch of screens too so like that's pretty bad given how many screens they're throwing um and so i i think they will be demonstrably better this year uh enough to be fourth in the conference fifth fifth in the conference uh yeah you have them five and parker you and i agree i have tcu here at fifth as well i don't know how to add upon all this is i should have I'm just going to sound like I'm copying you. I really don't know what else to add. I think that, you know, I, I said good things about Stormin, but I, I do think he's, he's a, an upgrade, and I do like Avila. Um, I do think he's going to continue to improve. It sounds like he has been throughout the spring, and I know coach speak is coach speak, but, you know, when you start singling out guys and, and mentioning them as opposed to being like someone asking you directly about them, I will, I will take that with a little bit larger grain of salt than, you know, just being asked specifically. Yeah, I, I have TCU at five. I can't follow Parker next time. He just says everything. We need some, we need some like, variants. Uh, I texted you, text you this morning. What did I text you this morning? I did my dang homework. I know. I know. I'm I'm very proud of you. I don't bring you on here just for, you know, your looks. This is a podcast, so that doesn't matter. Or the beard. Uh, okay, we're going to get to the back half of this in just a second after this real quick word. Phillips Slavin of the 1012 podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right, and it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast 
out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify. Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. All right, five down, five to go for everyone. Uh, Cam, you are up. Who is your number six offensive line? The Red Raiders, just because. So we speak about it, and we speak about probably you know screens, but if we look at the average time to throw, it's probably the lowest, not just in the Big 12, probably in the country. Uh, if not, it's got to be up there. That's just the way the system works. It's the way they had to call it last year. So you're going to get the benefit of the doubt with allowing pressures, with having pass blocking sets that are significantly easier. That being said, I'm still a huge believer in Dawson Deaton. Um, and I, I think the influence and the, the addition of Storm also helps a lot there. I'm also a fan of Josh Berger. If, if that's where we're going with right tackle, I think the, I remember him staking and don't, don't quote me on this, but it was like a 2018 game uh, Wofford that the Terriers and that's where he was playing before I used to, I used to grade games for a little known entity uh, out there in Cincinnati. Um, don't need to name them again and give them any more. That being said, I, uh, you know, we used to do D2 games and there was, a, I, it's this, it's the name and I'm, it's gotta be the same name that pops up. It was Josh Berger. How many Josh Burgers are there? There could be a lot, but I mean, you, when, when players stand out, like he did at a game that I, that I graded, you know, it's that span that stands for something. And for him to get the, the, the power five transfer after multiple years of offer to make a lot of sense. And so if, if that's where they're going, I don't know a hundred percent, obviously, like we've talked about coach speak is coach speak depth charts or depth charts in the spring and summer. So I, I lean heavily towards the experience of Dawson, Dawson Deaton as well, sort of guiding that offensive line and, and uh, the benefit of the doubt of having pretty easy pass sets for them to at least stay right in the middle of the pack. I like the individual guys on Texas tech, but I don't have them at six. I feel like I might be crazy. If we're talking about taking going out on limbs here, I don't know why I like Oklahoma State's line so much, but I can't talk myself out. I just can't, I can't quit them. Uh, you know, you have, you have Josh Sills inside, uh, just a really high quality lineman who kind of under the radar because he, West Virginia didn't play much. And then, but he's coming back. You have Danny Godlevsky, a transfer from Miami with 36 starts, uh, uh, 2.16 uh, years of, of weighted experience, so that's participation weighted, is literally the highest in the conference. That is the most experienced lineman in the Big 12 conference at center. And so your left side of your line gets rounded out with Caleb Etienne, who is number two Juco tackle. Uh, he's not on campus yet. I might be going crazy, but he, he's going to start on the left side. So you have center over to the left side. Uh, Etienne, six, Six eight guy, long, uh, athletic. I, I I think could be a really really good weapon. Um, also, 
Oklahoma State is going to have a quarterback run uh, threat that is going to make this offensive line look way, way, way better um, because they're going to be able to kind of move back and forth. Um, on, on the right side, you have Cole Birmingham and Jake Springfield. I'm agnostic about both of those guys, but I think they're good. And so I think the the left side and the pass protection that uh, Oklahoma State could theoretically offer with Etienne Sills and Godlevsky is going to be a, a really, really solid kind of, um, now I, I want to say beefy, but you know, Godlevsky's only 300, but a, a just a high quality offensive line. Um, whereas last year, you know, Oklahoma State 72.6% clean pocket, which is pretty decent. Um, but and and they're and they're turning over, you know, losing Tevin Jenkins. But I I don't think that's gonna be as big of a loss um just because I think the unit has a has a high ceiling. Well, here we go. I gotta follow Parker again because I also have Oklahoma State at number six. Look, Josh Sills, I think, is the kind of like the most underrated. Best offensive lineman in the Big 12. He he was really good last year. He'll be back where he's supposed to be. Uh, 24-7 Sports basically said he was the best offensive lineman when they ranked like the top 10 players returning. And you're like, okay, that's weird. Uh, he was ranked as a preseason first-teamer by Athlon. Like, I, I think he is – I think he will anchor this line and do a really good job. You talk about uh, about ETN. I am curious if he actually starts game one or if Maturko does and ETN eventually takes over the starting job. Uh, that's, that is a big question mark for me. But it's not just the starters, like the depth there, because you had, I feel like, how many injuries and, and guys did the Oklahoma State lose last year between off season and, and during the season? Like like eight. A lot of these guys got good experience last year. Hunter Woodard stepped up pretty well. Uh, you mentioned Springfield. I could see Hunter Anthony also starting at right tackle. Um there's a lot of guys who they may not be awesome, but there's a lot more experience than you realize because of how many guys had to step up and play last year. I think that's going to play huge dividends for Oklahoma State this year. And it is a fairly young, like obviously Josh uh, Sills is older. I got Levski's a uh, grad transfer, but that whole right side of the line with Birmingham and Anthony and Woodard and Springfield, they're all they're all younger guys. We're talking about sophomores and juniors. Um, so they have an opportunity this year to take a big step forward with another full off season. So I, I agree. I like Oklahoma State. Um, that's why I'm at six. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my arbitrary differences from you guys down to the bottom when I get to Oklahoma State. Not quite the bottom bottom, but just a little tease there. Uh, next for me, seven uh, is is TCU. And you get probably one of the better transfers, obviously, like you mentioned, um, with in Obina Easy. My man Oliver Hodgkinson at Pro Football Network did say that he has a chance to sort of vault himself potentially into day two, day one conversation if he isn't already there with a solid play on the bigger, bigger stage. He's a mammoth of a man. And if you watched any of Memphis last year, you you saw him absolutely just dominate. And it wasn't just like because he's dominating group of five play. It was he's a dominant mammoth of a man. And so left tackle on the big stage in a power five conference on a well-known power five team with a well-known coach that can produce some NFL talented players. This is he has the, the chance probably to be the highest drafted player, maybe in well, obviously not not a quarterback or non-skill player uh in the conference in my opinion if, if he has what sort of people think he can be and then yes i like avila but they they're not higher for me than seventh just because of question marks and and the mediocre middling play on the rest of the line this is not a tcu podcast so i have follow-ups there but i'm gonna i'm gonna put a pin on it and we can talk about that later because I, yeah. I like that and i'm I, i'll just say i i agree again like you know three three through seven three through eight for me is pretty is pretty muddled so um mine there is now and again, this is by a hair over my over my my next team, but I'm gonna slot Texas Tech in there. 
just because the experience is very high. Um, I think Josh Berger is an addition. If if Caleb Rogers plays right tackle, Josh Berger slides inside, then you've got Wright, Deaton, and Berger. Nobody has more experience in the middle than those three guys. Um, Stormont is a fine left tackle. Um, you know, again, we talk about stylistic changes. Well, David Yost is actually Sonny Cumbie with a wig on. And so they're not going to change any style, but they are going to do a lot of, can I throw the ball short? Um, I think Tyler Shaw is going to get on campus and uh, get into fall practice. And they're going to realize, oh, you're not actually the, you know, third best quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft. There's a reason you transferred from Oregon. Uh, we got to figure out what to do. So I, I think we'll see a lot of kind of the inside zone and screens. And a lot of what limited TCU last year was the fact their offensive line couldn't really run block. And so I'm not optimistic about this unit's run blocking ability just because, you know, um, who is it? Xavier Harrison is Texas tech was like one of the higher first round or first down conversion rates last year. Um, and Texas tech had a rushing success rate last year of, Oh gosh, I have it right in front of me. Uh, only like 39.9, which is a fine, like it's fine. It's not great, but again, that's, they can't throw the ball. And so they were trying to, uh, make up for that in, in situations where teams were just like, Hey, you're not going to beat me deep. Um, and so I, I don't think this Texas tech offensive line is bad. I don't think they're going to get asked to do a lot. And so I think they're actually going to, this, this might be a, an antagonistic kind of reactionary ranking, but I think they're going to get a lot more praise than they deserve because they are going to be doing a lot of get the ball out quick uh, kind of screens, dink and duck dunk stuff with, with Sonny Cumbie. So uh, again, Stormont was fine in, in limited play. Again, most of Stormont's minutes came not against Texas and Oklahoma and the best, you know, the best players uh, that they faced. So, you know, some of that grade is probably influenced by competition. Um, but Weston Wright, Dawson Deaton, anchors of the offensive line for Texas Tech have been there for a while. Uh, you know, I, I think they're, they're going to be a fine unit. I'm just not that excited about them, given what they're going to be asked to do. Uh, okay, so at seven, I have Kansas State, the lowest of all three of us. Um, I, this was not a very good offensive line last year, and... I here's my question. I might have them too low. Noah Johnson is was second team All Big Twelve last season. He's really good at center. Uh, we talked about Josh Rivas being one of the better guards in the Big Twelve. My concern with them and why I think I might be too low on them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with what I've got is they had to replace Skylar Thompson with Will Howard, and Skylar Thompson is a much better fit. And Will Howard was not great. And I wonder how much having to go with Will Howard affected how effective their offensive line looked last year. You get Skylar Thompson back for another year. So I get the feeling their offensive line is going to look maybe even better than it, it was just because he's taking back over at quarterback. You know, a quarterback can quarterback can make your offensive line look good. I always do the point of, and I thought this was really smart. Everyone always says Seattle has a bad offensive line. No, Seattle has a good offensive line. It's just that Russell Wilson makes their job harder than any other offensive line in, in the NFL. I kind of wonder if Skylar Thompson makes the Kansas State's offensive line better, and I will be wrong here. So I, I put Kansas State at seven with the caveat that if there is one offensive line that I have in these rankings that I think could shoot up the most from where I have them at the end of the season, it's Kansas State. A fair assessment. That's sort of, I'm shooting my shot with Baylor by saying, I think by the end of the year, they'll be up there as well. I'm just a little maybe preemptive in them there. So I, um, I'll i slide down back into eight and keep us going. But Oklahoma State is an eight for me. And it's just mainly because of, you know, I mean, Parker, you said it. It's hypothetical or, or 
theoretical or it's not quite there yet for ETN to even be on campus yet. And so if there's, if they're rocking without a solid left tackle piece, or, I mean, I go back to the reason they had trouble with Tulsa was because their offensive line, obviously Sanders got hurt and in, in that game, but there was a lot of trouble for me on that entire offensive line last season for me to do much more than, than hope and pray that Josh Sills could carry him from a left guard position. So that's where I'm at with Oklahoma state. I think they need better play overall from the entire line as a unit, not just from two individuals in, in Sills and Galavis. Yeah. I, I think that's the, 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 the theoretical argument for Oklahoma state's pretty compelling. And that's where, you know, that's where like some of this muddledness comes in because I can talk myself into a lot of these offensive lines being good in different ways. Um, which I, I think is a good segue into West Virginia, who I've talked myself into not being terrible. Um, so West Virginia last year, 36.5 rushing success rate. LD Brown is great. Uh, Letty Brown, excuse me. LD Brown's Oklahoma State. Letty Brown uh, is, uh, you know, good running back, 36.5 rushing success rate, but a 26.7, 26.7 rushing first down rate. Uh, so you can see that if you, if you give Lady Brown a little bit of space, he's going to make you look good as a, uh, as an offensive line. Uh, West Virginia at one point last year was starting three freshmen, I think. Um, and so you have a unit of, of guys that don't really excite me. Doug Nestor is a, a transfer who's really experienced, who I think could be a really, really good guard kind of under the radar. Um, but I, I think this unit gets some reinforcements with Nestor. I think they all have a lot more experience. I also think that West Virginia has no optimism for Jared Dagey being a savior. And at some points last year, they were operating under the assumption that Dagey was going to be something and we know who, what he is now. And so I, I think that that'll be a um, kind of all those working together is going to make this West Virginia unit, not one of the better ones in the conference, but decisively better than they were last year and, and better than what I would consider kind of the, the, the flailing bottom where they, where they were last year. We've done it again, Parker. We've got, <laughs> this is, this is, this is a lot. Thank goodness for last time we had a little bit of a break. Um, I also have West Virginia at number eight. And I would love to sound really smart. Um, I thought Doug Nestor could make a, a big impact for this offensive line, but it, it's more to do with, like, I just think they're better than Baylor and Kansas. I, I, don't, I don't know that they're very good. They were they were okay last year. Um, bringing back Zach Frazier is good. James Again, there's a lot of guys coming back. Brandon Yates, commit, is it Mitter? G-M-I-T-E-R. I don't know how to pronounce names. You start throwing things at me. Um, I think Nestor could make a a big impact on the right side of the line. I just I think it's a fine line. I don't think it's bad. I think there's a, a, a decent gap between eight and nine for me. I just they're better than, than nine and ten, and I don't like them as much as 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 OSU and Kansas State. I hate I wish I was a little more technical in my reasoning, but it's kind of one of those I just got to this point where I was like, they're fine. They're okay. They bring back some experience. I like it. It's not bad. It's not nine ten. They're just an eight. See, that's that's where I was at nine. I think the big gap is from nine to ten for me with West Virginia. I think I could probably flip around nine and six and be happy and like you said, sort of talk my way into to the ranking of between maybe even five and nine at this point. West Virginia, there's just nobody that in my opinion that is like exciting as an offensive lineman. There's nobody that's gonna jump off the 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 tape when you when you watch film. They're Nestor could be that guy. We don't know. Um, we've seen him obviously attack, but it's we don't know. And yes, he could bolster this line, and you could have a team that, with experience and bringing as many players back, I guess, as they do, or snaps back that they've done across all positions. I think except for right guard, uh, 
they they wouldn't surprise me if this team is better uh, as a unit, or sorry, if this offensive line is better. I'm not going to quite go team. Um, I'm a big Daggy believer in in the the individual, maybe not the level of play that we expect out of him, or or we're sort of cast over when he transferred. But yeah, not nine for me, but with a hard hard line between nine to ten. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, this is this is where I slot in Baylor. Um, Connor Galvin's great. He's very good. Uh, he could be one of the better tackles. He probably will get drafted at some point. Um, you know, and, and, and so he, he is the, I think the third or fourth most experienced lineman. He has been a part of some very bad offensive lines. Uh, but he has been a very good anchor for them. Uh, last year they, they were hurt. Um, I, I still can't shake in my head. I suppose it was 2019 Baylor versus West Virginia where the offensive line play was just so abysmal uh, that I, I just, you just can't get over that. Um, I, I think that Gall and Miller coming in will be really good. Casey Phillips is like a good example of like, Hey, you've played some and haven't been great, but you have experience. Um, I don't, I don't know that Gall and Miller kind of constitute a, a reshaping of this Baylor offensive line. So even if you think Mateos is going to improve this line dramatically, I don't think he's going to do it in half an off season. Um, I think Baylor doesn't really have an offensive identity right now. And they're trying to find that. Uh, I don't think Baylor has a quarterback right now. And so there's just a lot of contextual stuff in addition to the fact that I'm just not, uh, I just think this unit was really bad last year and I don't think much is changing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more down on Baylor. Uh, they're not Kansas bad. Don't hear me saying that, but, um, (laughs) I think they are kind of right now going to be towards the bottom of, of the conference just because, uh, they just, I, I, I think they're a little bit thin on depth in addition to kind of not being super talented. And so that kind of combination is, is, is going to be pretty rough last year, 64.7, uh, clean pocket, uh, percentage, which is, uh, you know, third to last in the conference. Baylor at nine. I mean, we are going to have the same 10 here. Um, Matt Wells, when he was there, did a lot of good things. Rule. Offensive line. I'm sorry, Matt Rule. <laughs> Matt Wells did not do a lot of good things. Um, Matt Rule did a lot of good things at Baylor. Offensive line was not really one of them. Um, and when he left, it, it was probably worse off than when he got there. I Again, you're right. Galvin, nice player. Um, I think Grant Miller will make a, a decent impact. I think this Baylor line will be better this year than it was last year. But better doesn't mean good. Like incremental improvement doesn't mean you've gone from bad to good. It just means you went from bad to not as bad as last year. And and again, you're replacing your offensive coordinator, you're replacing your offensive line coach. You've got a full offseason to do that, which is good. But I I just I think I think it was startling how bad Baylor was last year. And you have a head coach in Dave Aranda who kind of admitted he didn't do a great job and he had a lot of learning to do in the first year on the job. I think this is this is I think Baylor was took a bigger step back from Matt Rule to now than we thought they were going to. And I think they have a lot more ground to make up. And I just, yeah, they're just not good. It's not good. They were worse than league in, in yards per game and rushing touchdowns. Just a bad, this team could not run the ball. They could not run the ball. And they didn't have bad running backs. They just literally could not run the ball to save their lives. Uh, and I don't know that they'll actually be able to do that much better this year. So I think there'll be improvement, but it's it's not a good line. All right. So me having Baylor at four is capricious and arbitrary. Uh, at this point, though, I, I'll stick with it. I'll say one last thing about Baylor because I have maybe seven words to say about Kansas at 10. 
um, watch for Micah Mizkua, the youngster, um, also on good accord from Coach Mateos, that he will be a NFL draft pick at one point. Um, so when he's recruited as a 6'5", 290-pound tackle, I think he's sliding inside. That is a big athletic interior offensive lineman with uh, with the track record that Mateos has of putting players in the NFL. I, I'll believe him until I've proven otherwise. It's sort of why I always have Alabama number one in a preseason ranking. Who am I to not believe Nick Saban? Who am I to not believe Eric Mateos with his track record? So watch out for that name on the interior of the Bay line who could eventually take some snaps from people uh, this season and then obviously into the next year. Uh, Kansas for me, though, they're – there's, there's nothing to excite me about Kansas football. And I think on the low end of the spectrum of Kansas assets, if you take it out to skill players and then in the trenches there, it's gotta be the worst, maybe even the worst unit coming back on paper uh, across the units in the big 12. Yeah. I just don't even know what you do with Kansas because I mean, they're going to be switching away from kind of RPO stuff and that's going to be a hard transition just because it's easier to block when you just have to kind of get in front of a guy and, let numbers kind of block for you. Earl Bostic is fine. He's played a lot. Malik Clark is a guard uh, that I think is experienced and, and uh, good. Um, I don't know that that really matters. They, they say Malik Clark is a natural guard, which is like a really mean way to say, Hey, you're, you're good at blocking, but you're kind of slow. Um, and, and, and the rest of this line is just, I mean, the guys without experience guys with low recruiting rankings, um, kind of no evidence that there's anything this offseason that's going to change. There's so much uh, off-field stuff and staff turnover um, that, you know, it's just hard to – makes me feel sad to have to think about these individual guys who, like, worked hard in high school and committed to less miles and then now are like, oh, we're kind of in a lost season and all this craziness. But they're not um, They're not going to be good. They are not going to be um, anything that you are going to think about twice this, this fall, and that's um, – Unfortunate, but you know, Earl Bostic, Malik Clark could both potentially get looked at by NFL teams, definitely in like the later half, just because they're experienced and they've played in in uh, a P5 offense for you know three or four years. But um, I just don't think this this unit's very good. I feel really bad for whoever ends up as the starting quarterback for Kansas because it's it's going to be a really long year for them. Assuming I think it's going to be Jalen Daniels, assuming he makes it through the full season. Um, when I see people where I've seen some stuff writing about hey and, and we brought in colin grunhardt from notre dame who is like a previously unranked player you're like and played like 13 not, snaps at notre dame so yeah it's it's not that's not a that's not a bright spot that shouldn't be and if it is that that's not a good that's not a good thing i agree bostic obviously gonna be good but outside of that uh, yeah it's it's like you're gonna, Kansas is gonna be in the bottom rankings in a lot of things when we rank position groups. That's understandable, but this might be the most like bottom of of all the Kansas spots, honestly. It's it's, uh, it's as the kids say, bad bad, right now. <laughs> yeah, rough. What a great note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We gotta start doing this in reverse order. Then I forgot to end with Kansas every time. No one's gonna to want to listen anymore. We're like, oh well, who's nine? All right, thanks. Bye. Next podcast. Do you, do you frighten listeners away though if you start something with Kansas? It's a double edged sword. <laughs> we gotta we gotta we're gonna get the ugly out of the way first. Uh, I'll just put time codes. This is where Kansas starts and ends. If you'd like to fast forward, 
Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Kansas. I, I love you guys. I go basketball season will be here before you know it. Okay. You guys have been awesome. Parker, Cam, thank you very much. Cam, remind everybody where they can check out the work you do now. Uh, very easy. Twitter is probably the easiest place for all college football until I get college football up and running over at Pro Football Network. It doesn't seem to jive perfectly. So there's some big things coming in the works at Pro Football Network and maybe some split offs or spin offs uh, if we're talking TV shows. But yeah, Cam Meller at Twitter, C A M M E L L O R on Twitter. Very nice. Parker, where can everybody check out the work, all of the work, the insane amount of work that you do uh, covering TCU as well as college football as a whole? Yeah, the, the Twitter is probably the best way to find uh, all those things for, for the hub at Stats O War. Um, I uh, do a weekly TCU podcast and newsletter, Purple Theory. That's on Substack. You can find that on Twitter. Uh, check out cfb-graphs.com. That's kind of college football advanced stats, graphics. A lot of this information that I'm talking about today will be up there. Uh, so that's a really great resource. And then finally, um, Football Outsiders, we're working on the Almanac, uh, previewing you know top 50 college football teams this fall. And that's going to be really in-depth and, and, and pretty cool. So uh, that should be dropping you know end of, end of June, July there. Um, so th- those are kind of the three places. But if you go to my Twitter, you can kind of find all those places there. All right, guys, appreciate it. Uh, this is always fun. Hope to have you both back on the pod soon. And, uh, and thanks again. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Brady Trantham. I'm Keegan Renault. And, and we, we run, run the, the Inside, Inside OU, OU podcast. podcast. Ever wonder what Lincoln Riley is up to? Ever wonder what a leak route is? What inexplicable loss did the Sooners suffer this time? We cover that and more on the Inside OU Podcast. Every week, we drop a new episode on Thursday during the offseason. During the season, we bump it up to two times a week. If that isn't enough for you, feel free to follow our Patreon page at Through the Keyhole for more in-depth Sooner and college football coverage. Beat the rush, follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Boomer! The NCAA Men's Golf Championship gets underway this Friday, and among the 30 teams who will be vying for the national championship is Texas Tech. Very excited to have Greg Sands, the head coach of the Texas Tech men's golf team, joining us today. Coach, welcome to the 1012. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate the invite and uh, glad to be here. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, let's start here. Regional play wrapped up last weekend, and Texas Tech, one of three Big 12 teams to win their regional. Texas Tech winning the Albuquerque Regional, and and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. It was a it was one of the bigger surprises to me. Um, you guys have had a pretty solid year, but I, it, it coming out of the Big 12 tournament, finishing in fifth, having a, a nice season, uh, you guys definitely were not the favorites to win that regional. Sure. What do you think went into you guys being able to have the performance you did in Albuquerque? Yeah, uh, Phil, good question. I think, um, you know, the, uh, we played some really good tournaments this year. We never really put three rounds together. Um, so, you know, if you look more by a round, round by round basis, there was a lot of times we were really competitive, uh, with some of the maybe higher ranked teams this year, but we just never quite put it together. If you look at like the tournament we played in San Antonio, the Cabo, Cabo Intercollegiate, the last round, I think we had the low round of the day, um, by quite a bit and, and really, um, had, had some of those individual rounds and never put three together. So. You know, um, that was probably part of the challenge. Um, we weren't starting well and getting behind a little bit and trying to play catch up. And so it really wasn't too, I guess, uh, surprising to me that we played that well because I knew our potential. But maybe the combination of, of just not putting all three rounds together, I think, um, you know, missing Sandy in the lineup, probably finding our way a little bit on 
on who who's going to step up, and then really the emergence of Board Scogan, who um, who has really been playing well, played as an individual a, a couple of tournaments and played well, and so he's he's a game changer on the back end of our lineup, a kid that can go win a tournament, and um, he'd been doing that in practice and in, in some of our qualifications, but never really put it together in, until the end of the spring where he was doing that consistently in, in the tournaments. Yeah, you, you mentioned Skogan. You've got a couple of, uh, of upperclassmen on this team, obviously, and Andy Lopez and Kyle Hogan. But you've, you've got – I mean, you're the three starters in Albuquerque, younger guys. I mean, right. how much do you think – how much do you think that sets you up for, for next year and moving forward with, with Skogan and, and Martin and, and – If I pronounce this – Aberg, thank you. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, um, Ludwig is uh, – uh, you know, he's number one in the world in the scratch players ranking, number four or five in the world in the wagger. Um, so, I mean, he's a top player in, in the country. And when you have someone like that who's going to consistently finish at the top of the leaderboard, it gives you a chance to win golf tournaments and be in contention. And and uh, so, so that's a luxury that uh, we don't want to overlook because that certainly can carry you at times. And, and really the time he only struggled this spring was the old Waverly and that was probably our worst tournament of the year. So, you know, we, we have to have him play well to be competitive. Um, but, you know, those three guys, uh, like you mentioned, they hadn't played in the regional. And so when you go into that without any experience um, as a coach, it's a, it's a little something that's on, on the back of your mind that you want to make sure that those guys understand, you know, the implications of that and put it in the right perspective and understand that it's still golf and we really tried to go out there with a mindset of winning the event. I know you can't control that, that, that portion of that, but I guess what we really wanted to avoid was just the mindset. Oh, I have to finish in the top five. We wanted to play to our standard. We wanted to do the right things. We didn't want to just simply advance. And so of course it looks genius talking about it now because we didn't win it, but uh, I think ultimately it was just the mindset we were trying to get into and, and, uh, and, and really, again, it came back to controlling the variables that we can't control and winning was not one of those things, but playing to our standard was. You know, your schedule started back in September. So you look from September to now with everything that we've gone through as, as, a, as a period with this COVID pandemic, you, you started your season really still at the height of things shut down, dealing with the pandemic, going through everything, right. going through to now where we're seeing events open back up. We're getting crowds back at sporting events. And that's, that's a lot to deal with in, in one season. So I'm curious from you, what has it been like coaching through everything that's gone on in, in 2020 and, and 2021? Yeah, it's been a little bit uh, exciting in the beginning just to be able to play. Um, and we were willing to jump through all the hoops we needed to to play. And then, then you move on to a little bit when we were we were pretty much depleted of a, a bunch of our players for the East Lake Cup. We Ludwig uh, got contact traced. We had a couple other starters out, and next thing you know, we're we're you know dipping down the lineup to to go to a, uh, you know probably one of the coolest tournaments we went to all year with the East Lake Cup, and and uh, not taking our strongest five. But it, but it really ended up being a blessing. We got some extra guys, some work. Um, I think it showed the guys that you always had to be ready because things could happen. Um, and so I think that that was, uh, um, you know, something that we learned there from the beginning. And I think that really helped me as we planned for the spring. And I was able to kind of strategically look at when could we get vaccinated. I think that will help us, you know, down the stretch run. And it already has helped us, you know, going to the regional, we were able to to uh, to not be tested. You still have to show up and 
show your vaccination cards, but just kind of the uh, idea that you're not going to have, you know, the nightmare happen of, of a kid getting tested out of the event. So we've learned a lot. We've uh, learned how to be, you know, masters of variability is what I like to call it. And that's certainly a skill that you have to have. And in the game of golf is there's a lot of variables and we have to be masters of those variability of, of those variables. And so, um, so it's been a little bit of everything and um, we're glad that it's starting to be a little more consistent and, you know, a little more uh, open, opened up, if you will. And watching yesterday with, um, you know, Phil winning and seeing the crowd, I thought, well, I think we've, we've, we've gotten, gotten a big jump on uh, understanding that being outside is okay. You have coached a lot of players during your 20 years at Texas Tech. How do you, I don't want to say how do you rank this year or this team with, with others in the past, but what about this season will be the most most memorable for you or this team compared to, to the other ones you've, you've had? Well, we think our, our best memories are going to be made this week. Um, you know, we really do. We, we've, uh, we've got momentum. Uh, momentum is a, a strange thing, but we do feel like that, that we've come together as a team um, starting probably at the Big 12. We started working on some things that are starting to pay off with our mental games and some things that have really brought this team closer. I think some guys are figuring out, you know, how they play their best and their, their keys that they need to be really good at. And, and um, you know, I, I, I think our, our best memories are going to be made this week. I truly believe that. And um, the vibe in the locker room is the best it's ever been. I mean, of course, winning does that. But I think um, it's more about um, what we're working on and, and how, how we feel about those things. So I mean, that was going to be my next question. You almost kind of answered it for me. Is how does the team feel? Basically, coming off of a win in Albuquerque is big. You talked about momentum there, but I mean, how does the team feel heading into the NCAA tournament um, coming up this weekend? Yeah, there's a lot of good teams this year with COVID and a lot of COVID seniors out there. So one thing we do know, we'll have to play our best to advance the top eight. But we feel like we are playing our best right now, um, and sustaining that is something that we feel like we have a good formula for. And um, we're going to put everything into that formula and, and add them up and see where we, where we uh, end up. But I do feel like that I told the guys I had a great feeling about regionals, about the way we prepared, um, the things that we were able to do there really translated. And I think we continue to do that. We're, we're going to feel really good about the things that happened this week, too. That's great. Okay, so now look, we're a Big 12 podcast, so we are biased. And I am slightly biased, and I'll admit it. But I am... I, I will stick my neck out and argue with anyone that the Big 12 has the best men's golf, period, um, between teams like yourselves, as well as you know Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State with the history they've had. Where do you think the Big 12 ranks among the men's golf conferences and, and with the teams in the, in the Big 12? Yeah, I'm probably certainly biased, too, you know, toward, toward our league. You know, I remember when we uh, made the match play at, at Oklahoma State and uh, 2018, 2019, right in there. Um, we had Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and us. So we had, you know, half of the uh, half of the eight were were Big 12 schools, and um, and so I feel like this is similar to to this year. You know, we had three teams win win the uh, regional, and you know, we certainly know what OU is capable of, even though they didn't win the regional. But um, yeah, I think if you just simply look at the rankings with OU being one or two, depending on the poll you look at, Oklahoma State being two or three, uh, Texas being somewhere in the five, six, seven range, and 
you know, we're, we're 22 in the golf stat poll. I think we're ranked 13th in the golf week poll, which, you know, is a pretty big discrepancy there. So depending on how you look at it, but the way we're playing, I don't think we're, we're certainly not ranked 22 and with Ludwig uh, playing well, I think, I think we're, we're, we're a, a team that can play with anyone. And really you could probably throw TCU in that mix too. You know, they, they won the event at Papago and beat Oklahoma state down the stretch. And, um, they beat us at the Big 12 championship um, and had the low round of that of, of the Big 12 championship, the last round and, and then advanced, you know. So they're a pretty hot team as well, even though, you know, their ranking is pretty, pretty far down there. So the top end of our, our league, probably the last, you know, 10 years is I don't think anyone would argue that, that we've got the, the best league. You know, the SEC may be able to bring a little bit more into play in the in the middle of their conference and in the back end of their conference at times. Um, but they got 14 teams. We have 10. So it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit unfair there to, to compare leagues when, when you, they got that many schools. So, um, so yeah, it would, it would be a good argument. ACC's certainly had some, some great teams at the top too. Um, but, but I think the numbers kind of speak for themselves when you look at um, probably the last few years, specifically how many teams we've had in the top 10. Coach Sands has been fantastic. Um, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for donating some of your time to, to talk with us today. And let me just say, good luck to Texas Tech this weekend. We'll be rooting for all Big 12 schools. Obviously, only one team can win, but we would love to see a repeat of 2018 with a, a yeah. match play loaded with the Big 12 teams. Sounds good. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll plan, plan on that, uh, at least having all those teams there. Podcast Network.